Welcome to the M&A Masters Podcast. I am your temporary host today. My name is Steve Gordon, and uh, today we're doing something a little bit unique on the podcast. We are putting your normal host, Patrick Stroth, on the hot seat today, and I'm going to be interviewing him. Uh, I think you're going to get just a tremendous amount of value out of this interview. Uh, Patrick is an absolute expert at uh, some some fairly new and unique approaches to uh, handling risk in mergers and acquisition. And, uh, and so Patrick, uh, I- I'm excited about this. Before we jump in, I want to give you a proper introduction though. Uh, for those of you who don't know Patrick, uh, he is the founder of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. He's a speaker on M&A topics, and he's the host of this very podcast, the M&A Masters Podcast, where he interviews uh, thought leaders and, and, uh, and folks who have had real success in, uh, in the M&A space. And so, Patrick, uh, welcome to your podcast. Thanks for having me today, Steve. This is going to be fun. I, uh, I always like uh, kind of turning the tables uh, on folks and, and uh, doing these interviews, and it's going to be uh, an absolute blast to do with you. Um, to, to start us off, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this this insurance product called Rep and Warranty Insurance, Representations and Warranty Insurance. Um, I, I want to, I guess, start with, from your perspective, why is having this conversation important and why would it be important for somebody who's listening today? Well, thanks again for having me, Steve. And the reason why rep and warranty is an issue is because it's a tool in putting a deal together that has just gained significant traction over the last four or five years to the point where this item, rep and warranty, is being used in about one-third of all M&A deals over 25 million transaction sites. That's a huge jump from the last couple of years. And so for people that are in and around an M&A transaction, whether you're you know, an investor, a founder, um, uh, corporate development, everybody's looking to find a tool that's going to give them an edge. It's going to improve their deal, improve their terms. And so along comes this item that is, like I said, gaining higher uh, profile status. It's gaining traction because it's become effective. And the people that have used it are repeat users and they're using it a great great amount. However, there's two thirds of the market out there that may have heard about it and it's new, they haven't used it yet. And so they're trying to find out a little bit more to just get a little bit more comfort out there. And you know, the, the great thing about rep and warranty is it's something that can, it's not mandatory for every deal. It may not be a fit, but where it's a fit, it saves parties tens of millions of dollars in some cases. And it speeds deals to a successful completion. And so if you're an advisor, legal, financial, um, compliance, whatever, it really behooves you to be aware of this product you know, on a, on a global level and then see if, whether or not it's a fit for your particular deal. So Patrick, let's, let's start kind of at the beginning. So for people who maybe they've heard of it, but they don't really understand how it works. What, what exactly is rep and warranty insurance? Yeah. Rep and warranty is short for representations and warranties. Reps and warranties are the disclosures that sellers make to the buyer 
giving them details about their company, the ownership structure, legal issues that may or may not be out there, sales, financial aspects, all the facts about a company that the seller needs to disclose to the buyer and the buyer then will perform due diligence to look at those disclosures to see how accurate they are. And based on the quality of those disclosures, the buyer makes a decision whether or not they're going to pay a certain price to um, go ahead and purchase a company. Now, because these transactions happen in such a tight time frame, it's impossible to find out every little nook and cranny detail about a company. And so a lot of times you're going on faith that you know the, the disclosures that you're being told are accurate, they're truthful, and that you know, post deal, there won't be any surprises. Well, in the real world, there are surprises that happen and they often happen after the fact. Now within the purchase sale agreement and contracts right now, there's what's called an indemnification clause, wherein the seller must indemnify the buyer for any losses the buyer suffers as a result of those reps and warranties those disclosures being inaccurate, and those inaccuracies lead to the buyer suffering a financial loss. Great example of that would be just you're buying a, a chain of restaurants, and uh, unbeknownst to you, the chain of restaurants had given out over $2 million in free entree vouchers to beef up business and beef up sales. Well, you've purchased the, the chain of restaurants, and now you all of a sudden you didn't know about $2 million worth of free, free food you're going to have to give out. But you're obligated to honor that. that. That would be an example of one of those types of surprises. And you want to be able to have some kind of recourse to come after the seller. Well, that's done with this indemnification clause. Um, what has happened, though, is it gets pretty contentious because sellers want to sell their business and they're, they want to pay their investors and they just want to move on to their next venture. They just want to take their money and move on. Buyers don't want to get stuck holding the bag if there's some surprise out there that costs them money that you know they just missed in diligence. So they're trying to keep the seller on the hook as long as possible. The seller wants a clean exit. So there's this natural tension. Well, the insurance industry came along and developed a product where they would insure those disclosures, those reps and warranties, by stating that they will review what those disclosures are. They look at what the buyer did in terms of due diligence, making sure that they you know, double-checked the financials, they looked at the inventories, they did a cap table, they, they you know, did what they could to make sure that they held the seller uh, to, to task as much as possible. And if the underwriters are satisfied, satisfied, they simply say, I'll tell you what, we don't think anything bad is going to happen. Give us a couple of dollars and we'll ensure the deal so that should there be a breach of the reps and warranties, we're going to take that indemnity obligation away from the seller and we're going to take it. And buyer, in the event there's a breach and you suffer financial loss, come to us with that financial loss and we will pay you up to whatever the policy amount is. And so what it's done is rather than having this natural tension between buyer and seller, you've got this independent third party that looks at everything that has deeper pockets than both the buyer and seller combined that can go ahead and pay the buyer uh, their loss. The great thing is buyer goes ahead and they've got certainty that if something bad happens, they're not going to be left holding the bag and the seller gets a clean exit. A lot of times they end up collecting a lot more money at closing because an insurance policy, the rep and warranty policy 
begins at an, an attachment point that's far below what the seller normally would have to be uh, locked up in escrow. And the difference between an uninsured deal with, with an escrow versus an insured deal with a deductible could be, in some cases, uh, tens of millions of dollars. And so that's the product that's out there. It was uh, initially used for you know, very contentious transactions where there were big disagreements and only insurance policy can come in. And then there was also a usage for the product where you had uh, buyers or sellers that just were very, very risk adverse and wanted any way possible that they could mitigate the risk as much as possible. But what's happened is, is that it's become more of a financial tool. And that's why private equity has really embraced this product because they're constantly buying and selling portfolio companies, usually to other private equity firms. And having this product eliminates you know, post-closing losses uh, in terms of uh, financial commitments, accelerates uh, uh, profits and, and realizing uh, proceeds at, at closing, and they move on to the next deal. And the buyer, the private equity buyer, knows that should there be a breach or some other loss, those losses are mitigated because there's a, there's a product there. And so it's been something that has actually accelerated M&A transactions rather than being some pure risk mitigation thing that a bunch of warriors wanted to have. Patrick, it, it's pretty clear that there are benefits for a seller in this situation. You know, it, it accelerates the 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 speed with which they're able to get their cash out of the deal. But what are the benefits to a buyer, uh, maybe particularly a strategic buyer? Why would a buyer say, I really want that as a part of the deal? Great question. Happens a lot because the buyer in many cases is in a position where they say, well, you know, we don't want to take the risk or we don't see the risk. Why, why should we involve ourselves in this? Let's keep the seller on the hook. The fact of the matter is right now in this, in this environment, this is a seller's market. And so sellers are pressing uh, the terms because they have a lot more leverage these days. And so what a buyer needs to do is they need to make as seller favorable a term sheet as possible. Now, how can you do that without having to do the obvious thing as well? Just pay way more money than anybody else can uh, and, and then we'll buy it. Well, this is an alternative to having to overbuy. So if you can go ahead and provide something that mitigates a seller's risk, accelerates their profitability or their, their returns without having to raise your offer, that's a big, uh, big help. Another thing is that there's certainty of recovery. If there is a breach and it does impact the buyer financially, they're not worried about you know, sellers scattering out all over the place, particularly if you've got um, situations where you've got multiple shareholders in a company and you're going to exert a lot of expense and time trying to track them down to recover. So you've got one party, you will go to them and they will partner with you. Uh, the fact that using rep and warranty can accelerate the process, the timetable for getting the deal done, because if a rep or warranty is insured, there's no need to negotiate it any further. You move on to the next rep and warranty and the next one and so forth. So it saves time and money with the attorneys on having to go back and forth. Uh, 
it can also in for strategics it can remove a real discomfort uh uncomfortable situation when you purchase a target company you're usually bringing that management team on board with you it gets very uncomfortable in the event there's a breach post deal and the uh, company now has to go to those rock star new members of their team and say you know what I know it's not your fault but something bad happened it cost us money and we're gonna have to claw back a significant amount of your escrow or a significant amount of the money that uh, we had promised to pay you uh, this removes that the other issue about this is that it can provide a little bit of a backup on your due diligence. If you're performing a bunch of diligence and you're not insured, you're gonna be moving forward into the great unknown, hoping that diligence worked and hoping that you know, you've got that escrow or you got that seller on the hook if, if something goes wrong. Well, if you've got insurance there and they're looking at it and they say that yes, this, these reps are covered, now you're not as worried about your diligence issue because it's insurable should the event happen then, then you're taken care of. But the bottom line, the biggest thing that's a benefit for the buyer is, uh, and we get this information from multiple investment bankers, is that at the end of the day, you wanna get the deal done, okay? Uh, deals with rep and warranty are eight times more likely to successfully close than deals that are not insured. And if you're a buyer and you're going into this, Think about it. Why are you even going into this exercise unless you want to get it done? Okay. This is a way that's going to make it much more likely for the deal to be successfully consummated. And you know the great thing? You don't have to overpay to get it. So Patrick, you've you've touched on a number of the the benefits of of using this tool in in a deal. What do you see as as maybe the most important one or two advantages of of rep and warranty compared to a standard escrow arrangement yeah honestly i mean the deal's going to get done that when you go into a venture i mean if it's if it's meant to happen it's going to happen but the the issue is if you're going to go forward with the expense and the time to perform diligence on a, on a target company and go through all all the work to get it. You, you want this thing to happen successfully. And the great thing about rep and warranty is that it removes the tension between buyer and seller. Now, there's this uh, theory out there with with regard to uh, parties that really insist on having a, a good size escrow there so you have cash on hand so that, you know, if, if both sides go ahead and they're in good faith and they tell everything and do all the due diligence and everything's on the table, let's say, the fact that we've got a little cash on hand off to the side that if something does blow up, hey, we've got the cash, we just go pay it, money on hand is, is, is going to remove any tension between the two sides. And that's just not necessarily true. Um, I think that when you've got this situation where as, as you're going forward with the machinations of the deal, particularly as you get to the reps and warranties and the disclosures and the, and the indemnification clause. And indemnification clause, I mean, it's almost like, you know, negotiating a prenup agreement between a, a loving couple before marriage. Uh, suddenly, all these bad thoughts, bad 
ideas come up and because the nature of it is you're thinking worst case scenario. Both sides are. Um, the, the advantage on having rep and warranty is that you've got a tool that brings a third party in. So it's not you versus the other party. And well, we're going to make sure that you're honest. So if you have skin in the game uh, in the presence of a big escrow amount, hey, you know, that'll make you more honest. And then you've got that subliminally, the buyer, the seller may be saying, well, you don't trust me. I mean, there are a lot of dynamics out there that you can completely bypass and, you know, transfer a lot of these things out to a third party. And uh, the the other really nice thing about this is that it just if you can lower the temperature in the room, br- you know, remove a lot of the contentiousness in the negotiations. Why not look at it? Because what's going to happen is you're going to have a buyer that's in a position of possibly fear that they miss something, and then you're going to have a seller that's very defensive. Why are they asking me these questions? I told them, why don't they trust me? There are, it's just that element that, you know, there's, there's enough stress in these deals to begin with, particularly the money uh, involved. And if there's a way that a tool can be used to lower the temperature in the room and successfully get the deal done, I mean, that's, that's not just win-win, that's win-win-win for everybody. So Patrick, let's talk about the elephant in the room for a minute. You know, we're, we're now going to involve a third party insurance company. And uh, I know the thing that, that probably is in the back of, of some people's mind is, well, I mean, when it comes time to actually make a claim, you know, if, if worst case scenario that, that something does go wrong in the deal post close, and we've got this insurance policy in place, you know, is the insurance company going to pay the claim or am I now going to have to go fight them? Probably the most common question I field with this is that, and this is just unfortunately that's the the rap that uh, people get with with insurance on any insurance product is that well that's great we're going to pay all this money but what happens when a claim happens I'm not going to collect what I wanted to do. What happens with rep and warranty is unfortunately it's called an insurance. An insurance policy. It is an insurance policy. However, it is different from any other policy that's written for a couple of reasons. First of all, the scope of the insurance policy for rep and warranty is very narrow. It is only covering uh, the disclosed, the stated reps and warranties that are in a purchase sale agreement. And that's the only scope. It doesn't go beyond that. So if there are any other side agreements or whatever, those are, those are not part of this. Anything that is known by either party prior to uh, closing of the deal is not covered. All that is out there are these reps and warranties where both sides are warranting that they don't know of anything else. So you've got a real narrow scope of these of, of the covers that needs to be applied. Unlike other policies such as directors and officers, which are so broad that they have to respond to everything, which ends up meaning that they're going to decline 90% of the claims that come in initially just because they're so broad and they want to get a little narrow. The second area where these policies are different is the amount of diligence that is performed on placing a rep and warranty policy is so much more thorough than any other insurance policy that's issued that the underwriters have a very good, wide-open-eyed view on what they're getting into. 
they're essentially sitting there in the room virtually with the, with the seller or with the buyer's uh, diligence team. So when they go through the underwriting process, keep in mind the underwriters for rep and warranty are all M&A attorneys. They are not actuaries. They're not insurance people. They are attorneys. So you have attorneys that are reviewing M&A uh, legal documents. There are attorneys that are looking at the due diligence materials and so forth. So it's really hard for an insurance company to say, you know what, you didn't tell us about this, uh, you know, when we were putting the policy together. So we're a, real, we're a little reluctant right now because you didn't tell us about this. They can't do that. They're tied in with this because they were in the room when the deal was done. So you've got the narrow specific coverage. You've got the fact that they've seen everything. And so if something comes up as a surprise, like I had mentioned the, the uh, free dinner to, uh, uh, coupons or whatever, hey, if, if they miss it, everybody missed it, it's going to be covered and so forth. So you know they've got that, which is different from other insurers. The other issue is, and, and this is a real profound issue, particularly with regard to private equity, is that rep and warranty policies are very profitable. They have very few losses, and they're being used by repeat buyers, private equity firms particularly, buying these policies over and over and over again. And because the diligence is so thorough and because the risk is actually significantly low compared to other policies, there haven't been very many claims. So the absolute worst thing an insurance company can do after having a narrow scope and being in the room with everybody is to show any kind of reluctance when a claim comes in. The minute they do that, their credibility with the marketplace is eliminated. And private equity and the law firms that, that work with them will leave them immediately. So there's a financial pressure on the industry Unlike any other product where if you don't do your absolute best to get it right when a claim comes in, and then they are, that's their theme. They don't want to just pay claims. They want to get it right. That's over and over what the uh, insurance attorneys tell me when they're helping to settle claims on these. And they pay a lot of these claims, even though, again, the losses are small compared to the amount of business they're writing. But there is this obligation that they are going to show up and they're going to, you know, do what they say and say what they do, uh, which is unique in the industry. So, Patrick, can you share an example of how this has been applied uh, to a deal? Maybe to give folks who are listening a, a little bit of a you know specific example of, of how this played out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's. And here's a case with a strategic where you had a large top brand auto company that was purchasing a software company because they were doing on-demand um, uh, uh, drive sharing uh, programs. And the auto company wanted to get involved with that and move it over. Well, it's easier to go buy this, this technology company than develop their own tech. The technology company had two major shareholders and had about 10 other investors. And while the large auto company was making this purchase, it was a, a nine-figure purchase, and the auto company could afford if there was a loss or whatever. You know, they 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 weren't really worried about risk. But the sellers, the comp the technology company, uh, was afraid because you know, the two major shareholders were real concerned that hey, they're going to be the deep pockets in this deal, and in the event something did blow up. It wouldn't be the other 10 investors that the auto company would go after. It would be them. 
So these two shareholders were very, very concerned. And so they came to us and said, is there a way we can ensure the deal so we are protected? Uh, we talked to the auto company and said, well, if you agree to put this policy in place where the auto company is the policyholder, if there's a breach of the reps, the auto company gets paid and these two major shareholders are off the hook. They, they don't have to worry. Auto company said, hey, we're all for it. We, we don't see the risk. We want these people happy. I'll tell you what, we'll split the cost. If they're willing to pay a majority, they paid most of it. But if the seller's willing to pay for it, then we're willing to go forward. We'll share our due diligence with the insurance company and we'll go. So that was a case where even though you had uh, a large corporation that didn't need, they weren't worried about the risk, but to accommodate their uh, their target, they went and did this. So you have investors and shareholders that are really pushing to get, you know, uh, reduce exposure so that they can get their proceeds and, and move on and not worry about a clawback. There was another situation with a telecom company where it was being purchased by a larger telecom company and the owner founder uh, actually beyond the threshold that his attorneys had wanted him to do, bared his soul, disclosed more than the his attorneys thought he should have disclosed, but you know he wanted to be out there honest and did everything. Well, the technology company said, "Fine, thanks very much. We need an indemnity cap that's going to be about twenty percent of the transaction value." And the owner was offended. He just said, "Wait a minute! I just bared my soul. I mean, I can't possibly. If anything's out there, I I have no idea. You don't trust me." I forget this. I, I can't I can't fathom having that kind of exposure out there when I've just shared with you everything. And the telecom buyer just said, well, you know, it was more of an institutional player. And they just said, look, this is, this is the rules. This is what we do. And, you know, we want 20% indemnity cap. And that's just the way it is. We're sorry. I mean, we, we don't think there's a real more exposure than anything else, but this is how we do it. Well, so you had an impasse. We came in and presented a rep and warranty policy at the 20% indemnity cap, and seller, you know, seller did not have to worry because now he's not on the hook for this. Buyer, they they were able to check the box, got their got their uh, requirement in there. Everybody was happy. Deal had been sidetracked, was going to not happen solely over this uh, blow up. And a policy came in, uh, was plugged in, and and solved the deal, bridged the gap between the buyer and the seller. And you have all kinds of examples of like of, of things like that out there. That's clear, clearly a powerful tool, and and can be used very strategically uh, in a deal to to keep things moving forward. So, Patrick, that that really brings me, I think, to the the next most important question is how. For somebody listening, how do they know if they're working on a deal that would be a good fit? What what would constitute a, a good fit deal for a rep and warranty policy? The way we look at this, first of all, we're asked often, what sector can you write? What sector can't you write? And so forth. The insurance industry out there is open to all sectors. I mean, from aerospace to zoology, A to Z, they will entertain and look at pretty much everything. If there are uh, businesses that are in highly regulated fields or businesses that are in non-regulated fields like cannabis, for example, the appetite is a little bit trickier there. However, as time goes on, there's more comfort that comes along uh, with underwriters. So uh, the, the best way of saying this is deals that 
the insurance underwriters are industry agnostic. Some like some things uh, more than others, but there there's a variety of places out there. The issue is really if a deal has um, an indemnity cap in it of $10 million or more. Now, we can do smaller deals, but you know, transaction value, we'll hear about that where if there's a transaction value at, at $25 million and up to a billion dollars, we'd look at that. We prefer to look at the indemnity cap. I mean, what what is the buyer sell? What's the buyer looking for? And if you look at the the $10 million indemnity cap, because that's how big the policy is, that's a great starting point. So if you have a deal, whether it's a 50 million, 30 million, whatever, if you have a $10 million indemnity cap or up, rep and warranty is an ideal fit. Okay. The reason why I say 10 million because the minimum premium for a policy right now is about $250,000. That happens to be the rate for a $10 million policy. You know, if you've got a smaller deal and you need a $5 million policy, you don't have a 10 million, that's fine. We can still do it. There are markets that are willing to write a $5 million po- uh, policy for that indemnity cap. But again, it's going to be that minimum $250,000. If it makes sense, great. It can be a fit. Ideally, you want to look for risks where there's a uh, indemnity cap of ten million, and, you know, all the way up from there. That's, I think, really helpful for folks to kind of, you know, draw a fence around where where this applies as they're they're working through deals. So, Patrick, absolutely, we get yeah. The, what what happens often in this, and then some people may say, well, why ten million? Why so big? What's going on? It's largely because we'll get asked about sub $10 million transactions. And wouldn't it be great if there was a market that can handle the, the, the $2 million to $10 million deals because there are you know, thousands and thousands of those out there. The reason why the underwriters want the larger deals is because you're looking at the buyer's due diligence. And the buyer's due diligence has to be pretty thorough. And you're not having a real thorough due diligence done on the smaller transaction value deals. They once you get over 25 million transaction value and up you're having your M&A attorneys, you've got investment bankers, you've got professional advisors, you've got audited financials or at least reviewed financials. The elements that make a risk uh, eligible as opposed to ineligible. So I definitely want to put in that issue on on the why at that at that threshold. That's I think that's good information. So Patrick, we've only got a few minutes left, and and uh, there are a couple of questions that I think are important um, for folks who may be looking at trying to learn more about this. And and the the first is that uh, you know I know you do a, a tremendous amount of of uh, education around uh, rep and warranty insurance and M and A in general uh, through you know your podcast and your website and all that. And you you guys publish articles um, I think at least twice a month. Um, on these topics and and on other M and A related topics that, that folks can get to, I know that you go and do presentations and and that you do webinars. Uh, how can folks kind of tap into all of this education that you're doing? The best way to find stuff, and I'm I'm pretty proud of the work that we've done on our website on this, is first to visit our website at Rubicon R U B I C O N I N S dot com. And if you click on the Insights tab, 
there we've got a list of our articles, uh, uh, links to podcasts and so forth, just to get a flavor. I would say this is that as an insurance broker in the M&A sector, we have probably the easiest, most user-friendly website when it comes to finding M&A uh, related material. Uh, there are there are videos in there with some side by side comparisons on on an uninsured and an insured deal. There are other resources there that just it's it's one click and you're in. Uh, and I'm very proud of that because when I had to do my research on this years ago, uh, you were hunting and pecking all over the place. And so I would say the first place would be to go there. The other issue is that what uh, we do routinely is on a regular basis, we're providing ongoing continuing education to uh, the corporate uh, groups and the M&A practices for a number of law firms. And we can do these either live or I have a webinar where we go point by point on you know, how to execute this product, uh, the pricing on the product. And the comparisons is really difficult um, when you're listening to something, when you hear numbers here and there and comparisons and so forth. It's, it's important to have some visuals. And I would argue we probably have the, the best visuals when it comes to an M&A uh, webinar presentation. So those are available uh, uh, you know, just by reaching out to me and scheduling that to give you on-the-ground work on this. I would say that the without without exception, if you uh, attend one of my webinars on M and A for rep and warranty, you will know more about rep and warranty and how it can be executed and how it can a, a impact a deal than about ninety five percent of the people in the insurance industry. There are a lot of commercial insurance agents and brokers out there. They're very good. And they do great work. They don't know this, and it's not just how the product works, but how you know you can go from dead stop to getting a policy placed and get it set, and that's a real problem. You know when you've got something new, when you're into M&A transactions and you're dealing with, you know, you've got bankers and their fees, you've got advisors and their fees. If you want to stage your company, you're going to have some compliance issues and costs to get yourself set up, IT expenses to get your security up, you know, and then you've got legal costs. You have all these things you're going to incur before you're even going out there on the road to get an offer for selling your company. There's all these expenses out there. And, you know, to get uh, the idea of, you know, rep and warranty in there, that's just one more thing on the pile of other to-dos that you have. And it becomes, uh, uh, you know, a reluctant item because you've got so many other things out there. And what we show with both the webinar and in, in speaking with me is that there's a step-by-step -step way of doing it, and it's a very simple process, and it's manageable. And the best thing about it, it's at zero cost. Until you're committed to where you want to move forward on a policy, you don't spend a dime. And so that's a nice departure from traditionally getting other services where you're going to incur some kind of retainer fee or expense just to get started. And that's not the case with this. And the more people that know that there's this free resource for a key tool, the better. Excellent, Patrick. Uh, and I know you do a tremendous amount of work to put all that together. So for folks who have, have you know, listened to this and, and now they're thinking, well, maybe I have a deal that, that could be a fit. 
Um, what's the best way for them to maybe get in touch with you to begin to talk some specifics just to see if the deal is a fit? How do they go about doing that? How do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. The easier it is just to get a, a quick snapshot look, I think, I think the better. And so the way you do this is you either reach out to me by email, which is my first initial P and then S-T-R-O-T-H at rubiconins.com. You can also find it on the website or call me 415-806-2356. Give me a call. And here's what I need. This just shows you how simple we've made it for you. Okay. If I have four data points, the transaction value that you're thinking about, what the indemnity cap is, is there an escrow amount is for comparison purposes? You know, what escrow, if we were uninsured, what would that be? And then what is the state of domicile for the buyer? That's important because all policies have taxes and it depends on where the buyer is domiciled. So, you know, we can get that. But if you have those four items, I don't even need to know what type of company it is. Okay. If I, if you give me that, we can at least give you a real back of the envelope number. And then it's just a matter of does the due diligence, you know, is it eligible for the underwriters? And, and we would go through that later. But at least with those four data points, that's all I need. And you're going to at least have pricing. And if you can get that idea budgetary wise, what's out there as you go into the letter of intent stage, it's a lot easier to incorporate this powerful, powerful tool without having to stop doing what you're doing in the deal to then inject this process and and then do it later. It's, it's much more effective as baked in to the deal at the outset. Very good, Patrick. Uh, this has been really educational. I know I've been taking notes as we've talked and uh, you've shared just a ton of information. I appreciate you doing that. And uh, folks, Patrick will be back as the official host of the MA Masters podcast in the very next episode. So be sure and come back for that. And uh, Patrick, thanks for giving me the opportunity to turn the tables on you today and, and put you in the hot seat. And thank you again for everything that you've shared. Uh, it's, it's been great having this conversation with you. Thanks very much, Steve. Appreciate the help there.